Welcome to the Middleman Podcast. The following is a conversation with Luke Gradeska. Luke is a local surfer, lifeguard, and now salesperson. In the water, you could find him hogging the peak on Brinley or breaking city speed limits on the foil. I wish I wasn't in such a rush to get out of here this time because I'm sure we could have kept going and I think I may have tried to push the conversation too fast. Regardless, thanks for listening and if you have any suggestions on how to make things sound better, please contact me. Before we begin, I'd like to thank CBD Headquarters on Route 35 in Eatontown for becoming our very first sponsor. CBD Headquarters is your one-stop shop for all the latest cannabinoids. They have Delta 8, Delta 9, gummies, vapes, and even, get this, indoor-grown, hand-trimmed buds. That's right, you can buy legit weed on Route 35 in Eatontown. Just keep your head down. Uh, half the shop is a dildo store, but... As time goes on, more and more of the store is becoming a weed store and less and less of it is becoming a dildo store. So I can imagine the more of you folks go in there, the fewer dildos will be in there. So get out there and check it out. It's on Route 35 in Eaton Town, and it's interesting, you know, 2022. It's uh, brand new stuff and it's, it's all legal. So go ahead and head down there. Bunzel is the largest value-added distributor in the world and in its market sectors with operations across America, Europe, Asia, Pacific, and UK and Ireland. You work for Bunzel, right? How do I say it? Yeah, Bunzel. That's correct. I work for Bunzel. There are four <laughs> parts to this question. All right. What is a value-added distributor? What does Bunzel do? How and where does your business operate? And what do you do for Bunzel? So what is a value-added distributor? Yeah. That's what they say it is. So I guess value-added is just like a marketing term. Like Bunzel is a distributor, and then they try to sell you on the value-added sale. I guess there's a bunch of different types of sales that you could do. But uh, yeah, I, I guess value-added would be like, say you want to buy garbage bags from us, and you want to buy like truckloads of garbage bags every week. Bunzel's value-added portion of it would be like, oh, we're the garbage bag expert. We can tell you all the different thicknesses and the best brands and what kind of material it's made out of to get you the best fit garbage bags for your company, whether it's like... Do you have those things? The best garbage bags? We can get you anything you want. That's the answer that we're supposed to give you. Um, oh, really? <laughs> I mean, if you're going to sell somebody, I guess that's part of it. But uh, that's actually That was actually one of my questions. Okay. As a salesperson, you have to be someone's business partner, so they you know feel as comfortable as they are with you as they would a friend. But you're also more than likely incentivized to make the other person spend more, which causes you to have some difficult conversations. How do you do that without compromising your integrity? Yeah. Uh, so I guess right now, so I've been with Bunzel for a year and a half. I did a business associate program, which just means I was like a mega intern for a year. So I did a internship with the purchasing department, customer service, the warehouse, and then sales. And oh, then so you're in every department? Yeah. Sweet. For like four months at, or three months at a time. And then, uh, I got the full-time position in sales and then I've only been doing that for six months and I really haven't been doing too, too much. But, uh, as I continue to work with them, I'm starting to realize that the you like have to integrate with the new company that you're working for. Every company has super specific demands and it's very gray what your like defined duties are for each job. So right now I work with uh, our quick check account, which is like it's a quick check 
and Performance Food Group. They're a broadliner. They sell food packaging and food. And Quick Check kind of uses both of us to get their supplies. Uh, and then I also handle a, a small startup airport, which is called Avello. They have like three planes mm-hmm. on the East Coast and three planes on the West Coast. Oh, cool. And uh, yeah, so my job right now is really basic. I have to kind of get my feet on the ground and try to figure out how to do just the basic processes. Like mm-hmm. someone wants a new item, like pricing, price increases, how to handle all that. So I'm just learning how to walk right now as a salesperson. But uh, yeah, so I guess like as you're trying to sell people, it really depends on what your relationship is like with the person. Because I guess some salespeople would go and be like, oh, I don't really care about them. I'll screw them if I want to or not. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's like a really, really case-specific question. I just don't have the experience to point to different scenarios like that, I don't think. I got you. So who are you working with? Like, what are these people? Yeah, so a lot of the times, let's say, let's say like ShopRite's one of our customers, and ShopRite has a whole different ton of employees and departments, but ultimately we work with whoever is buying the stuff. So... Or actually, I think Quick Check would be a better example. So Quick Check, they have a woman who does coffee and soft drinks. And her whole thing is like they're breaking down their business and they're figuring out the margins on what they're selling as a full package. I'm not so like not only are they considering the soda that goes into the cup as part of their cost, but they're also considering the plastic cup as part of the cost, too. So they have to. uh you know, break down the the margin that way. So it's not like salesperson versus like, uh, so you're not speaking directly to the owner of the company. You're speaking with somebody who works on like the warehouse floor. Yeah. So, so, okay. I lost my train of thought, but I'm back now. Uh, so like I, there, there's a woman, Wendy, she works for, she's the, the drink person. And then there's also a woman, Shay, who does like salads and salad containers. So they're both considering the cost of the containers into figuring out the profit for their items right and it's going to be different for each company but generally there's one person that's making the decisions like oh we want our product to go into this container at this price with these sort of attributes okay so you're you're making a bunch of shit that people put shit in well we're just distributing it so i guess there's like the landscape is like there's manufacturers there's distributors and then there's customers yeah. The manufacturers want to make stuff, but they don't necessarily want to distribute or sell it because then that would take them away from their manufacturing abilities. Right. They would get too, spread too thin. They'd have to have two businesses going at the same time. So the guys who come in with the trucks full of shit don't even work for you. They work for the other company? Yeah, so really easy example would be like Solo Cup, like all the red cups. Mm-hmm. Uh, manufacturing red cups isn't as easy as you would think it is. All oh, of the really? All of the manufacturing facilities are these giant, big, like, like diesel run machines, and they're making so many cups so fast that these machines can get out of tune, and they can start having production issues, and, you know, they're trying to, I, I, I don't know if they run 24-7, but I assume that most of them do. Probably like, you don't want to stop the machine and have downtime, because every time you stop the machine, you have to, like, all the little nuances that go into manufacturing would take them away from selling and distributing it's not just one machine you're stopping if you stop that machine so yeah this is like you're i think you told me like the units that you sell in are like truckloads like yeah you, I mean, you don't sell by like thousands or like hundreds it's like a bunch of stuff right yeah uh so i guess like units meaning like you don't sell a couple hundred cups you sell like fucking hundred thousand cups yeah so 
the way that the supply world works is everything is sold in cases. Mm-hmm. So like you get a case of cups, there's 500 cases. I mean, 500 cups in a case, there's 1200 straws in a case. There's, uh. you know, all that. So you deal in like case quantities, but ultimately you want to have a customer that's large enough that they can buy, buy the pallet. So let's say there's yeah. 120 cases per pallet, or you kind of buy, or you want the customer to buy by the pallet or by the truckload. So a truck can have 23 pallets on it. So that's how mm-hmm. it breaks down. Wow. Yeah. Like uh, for ShopRite, they order uh, chicken roasters, which are what the rotisserie chickens go into, like those big plastic containers that hold it and they yeah. hold it under the light. And they literally have four trucks a week going from the manufacturer wow, directly to chickens. ShopRite. And it's truckloads full of just chicken roasters. <laughs> Sweet. I have a question about the material of the things. Okay. Do you guys, are you schooled on the materials at all? You, you, yeah. So I have a specific question. Okay. How much do people care about microplastics making their way into the bloodstream? Not at all. You're shaking your head. Yeah, not at all. No, they don't, people don't know at all. Yeah. I think, uh, I think plastics are definitely the, the lead of our lifetime. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, uh, can you like tell me more what you know about that? Because you sell plastic. Yeah, uh, I don't really know too much about the microplastics. I know it's bad. I know it's in the oceans. I know we pollute a lot. I know that it's manufacturers that make the most pollution. It's not, uh-huh. you know, the end users. Uh, and it's not the end users who know how much pollution is going on. It's the manufacturers. Yeah, exactly. So it's weird, but uh, so who do we blame there? Like, who do we talk to? Because apparently, it's not you. Right. Uh, I mean, not, I'm not you specifically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got you. I guess, uh, I, I don't know. That's a really, that's like a chicken or an egg question. Right. Cause it's like, well, we, if my next podcast, we're going to be a step closer to solving that. Right. Who would that, that person be? Uh, I don't know. I, I guess the, the issue is so big. It would have to be like a government official that makes some sort of law that yeah. completely bans single use items. We but need then, somebody who could twist some arms. Because you could either go to the manufacturer and the manufacturer would say, like, well, we don't buy it. We just make it, you know. Yeah. If we didn't build it, somebody else would. And ShopRite will go, well, we're just trying to focus on our cost margins. And yeah. you're in the middle. You're like, well, I'm just selling this shit. They both want it, right? Yeah, like the whole big machine needs to be disrupted. <laughs> and I guess you could... Nobody wants to turn that big machine off. Yeah, but that's I guess that's a bigger discussion, too, about, like, the society that we live in right because it's super consumer based and our whole economy is based on increasing revenue and appeasing the shareholders and if you stop producing and you can't sell things to people then companies aren't making revenue and then turns out that our single-use plastics are actually good for our economy and good for our country and give our country the power to arguably not our economy arguably an economy that was based more on petroleum right because that's what it's made out of right yeah, I don't, I don't. So like, okay. Do we need to be using more of that shit? No, definitely not. It's definitely not good. So but like, it's too when, late. When the plastic started, it was perfect. Like, look at this thing, way, way fucking cheaper. But now we know that it's terrible. At least I would assume that the right people know that it's terrible. You know, the doctors or whoever's right. researching this. But now, like, since it's time to turn the corner, like, there's nobody to like stop the rest of the people yeah i mean uh 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it doesn't really bother me. I feel like, <laughs> like we're, like, yeah, it just, it's not an issue that I think about. Like, I microwave food and plastic all the time. It's probably not good and probably shouldn't do yeah. it, but I do it anyway. You it's know? so impossible to, like, it's all that shit you can't see. Did you see the, um, the Joe Rogan podcast with the plastic lady? Yeah, that freaked me out. Yeah. So, like, because I, I talk about that to a lot of people, like, and if you say that you're worried about plastic before you, like, watch that, it's one thing. But then afterwards, you're talking about a whole different thing. Yeah. I Yeah. I Something like that, I definitely just block out and don't think <laughs> about, you know. Like, it's an inconvenient truth to have to deal with. It and is. I'd rather just get my Chinese food, eat half of it, reheat it in the microwave, and then eat the other half, you I'm know. sorry I brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a bad thing. I think it's a good thing for people to know about. Because uh, like, I asked that this guy who makes clothes to my friend that I went to middle school with, and he his, his answer was like the same thing. He's like, I really don't think about it. Like, no. I was asking him like, what do his consumers care about plastics and pollution in their thing, and he doesn't get anything. Yeah, and yeah, it's definitely people don't care about that. It's like it's indirect the harm it's causing to us. It's not like something completely obvious like a gun that shoots and kills somebody. It's like that's clearly bad. It's yeah. like plastics is bad because. It breaks down, gets really small, fish eat it, and then you eat the fish. Like, Well, this is a follow-up question to the, to the plastic thing. What kind of role do you think plastic should or will play in the world? Wow, I don't know. That's a really big question. <laughs> um, I, it does... It probably, it's got to do just as many, just as much good as it does bad, right? Think of all the medical uses it has. Think of all the, you know, think of all the babies' lives it saved because they sit in plastic incubators. Think of all, like, the plastic tubing, all the, like, there's so many good, like, plastic uh. is super, you know, functional. Like, we have this plastic Brita sitting on the table right now. Like, <laughs> like how ironic, I was thinking about this the other day, actually, like, oh, I use a hydro flask, I don't drink it of plastic bottles, but my water goes into a Brita filter first. <laughs> so even I, if you looked inside the fridge, I'm sure you wouldn't find, you wouldn't be surprised to find that some of that tubing is made out of plastic. Yeah, exactly. So I like, yeah, even like, uh, think like, um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a ton of medical equipment that you can use it for. I mean, cars like, Oh yeah, I, there's probably, yeah, that's true. I mean, what the fuck would doctors do if they couldn't like do IVs and shit? Yeah. So, it's uh, it's hard to say. I mean, like, if you could find a... There's a lot of plant plastics coming out, though, now. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe we just ha don't know the right plastic, because maybe plastic in the future isn't the same as plastic in the past. Yeah, I, I don't know. But it's also all coming from the earth, right? It's like you're polluting the earth with plastic, but it's yeah. always been here. But, I mean, we used to have <laughs> lead pencils, but now we just have pencils. Mm, yeah, that's why, yeah, like, the Romans had lead issues, right? They had a bunch of yeah. uh, emperors that were all whacked out because their brain was all <laughs> leaded up, right? So, like, who's going to be whacked out with... Yeah, they're all walking around CTE, every single one of them. Yeah, like <laughs> lead poisoning is like clearly definable, right? They yeah, have. Uh -huh. So what's plastic poisoning going to look like when wow. it gets bad enough for us? That's cool. Yeah. But no, I don't try, definitely try not to think about it a lot. I don't, you know, I, I've eaten out of plastic all my life and I feel fine. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh, so that, that one's for someone else to save. Maybe, uh, maybe you can run for president and... Dude, somebody, it does sort of seem like somebody in the regulatory position would have to solve that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
big so yeah or, or something like catastrophic would have to happen for everybody to rally behind like all right this has to go yeah something catastrophic maybe something like a viral uh piece of information that like you know if you take cbd products you know you can like have a better uh understanding the environment you know <laughs> right start connecting yeah or it'd be like like the the government the gdp is literally lowering because people are getting so dumb because the plastic <laughs> is getting into their kids before they're even born oh so my the, <laughs> so the government's like oh our army's getting weaker because we have dumb plastic babies dang <laughs> So I don't know. Plastic babies. <laughs> and then they're like, all right, no more plastic. We got to get our, our stuff together. One more question about Bunzel. Right. What are the requirements for the position that you hold? For what, where, and how long did you go to school for those things? Okay. Um, I went to Penn State for four years. I originally went to Penn State because I wanted to do track and field there. So schooling wasn't really a forethought like you know you kind of get sold the dream like if you go to college everything will be all right yeah and you don't even know why you're going to college and then it wasn't even until after you graduate college and then you're like oh that's what college was for yeah so what was it for yeah so i track got me to penn state and then i was like oh i'll do business you know just like mm -hmm. throwing shit at the wall till it sticks and then i ended up it didn't do so well my first semester didn't really know how to be a student and then I ended up in agribusiness management. So the way I like to explain that to people is most farms are family-owned farms. So it's like small mom and pop. Everybody's part of the family that works on it. And that's like the main business of Pennsylvania. So the state of Pennsylvania wants to reinvest in the primary industry in its state. So it reinvests in the kids that work on the farm so that they can better run their family-owned farms like a better mm -hmm. business. And then in turn... Farming does better and the state does better. Oh, cool. Yeah, so my degree is like a, a supply chain degree because it's not so much about the agricultural part. It's more about the business side of it. So they're assuming that these kids already have a good right. agricultural so they're, foundation. they're giving them that schooling uh, and hoping that they combine that schooling with their knowledge of the farm. Yeah. So that's what the intention for the program is. Yeah, so it's like a kind of like a supply chain degree because you have to get your, you know, corn, your soybean yeah. from the farm to whoever wants to buy it. So even though it's like got agriculture in the name, it's kind of applied to everything. Yeah, it's like uh, it's a super generic degree. I had to do marketing, accounting, mm -hmm. econ, all that stuff at a, you know, entry level for college. Like I, I've had to take 100 level and 200 level courses. Did you find any enlightenment there in like the schooling or was it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I didn't like start enjoying school until you get four years in and all the, the gen ed classes that you've taken are starting to build on each other and you can start to connect different classes. And uh, I had this one class where we had to do an executive brief on a company. So every week once a week we had to turn out a four-page report with size 11 font and every sentence had to be like a detailed sentence you couldn't have a filler sentence in it and you would basically talk about like our first one was on coke so it was like what is coke what how big is the company what kind of uh assets do they have what do they do what are their market segments who are their competitors what are the trends in the industry where is it going uh like is this a good company would you invest in this company so that's like a good class because you can finally 
start to pull all your knowledge from all your previous classes and you know mm-hmm. talk intelligently on a yeah on like you sort of assess the business as a whole and you do it in like an iterative fashion where like you start to get the hang of like analyzing things yeah and so you're like is this efficient here like is there somebody else who's better that's cool yeah that was a fun class um so yeah went to school did track did agribusiness management i came out uh i graduated in 2020 um and then before i graduated penn state has one of the biggest career fairs and oh, okay cool yeah so super helpful to have that you know they have hundreds of uh employers come and you know you get to go talk to them at the career fair and then if they like you they give you an interview and then they interview you and within a week or two you find out if you have a job or not that's cool so i did a ton of interviews i ended up just bumping into bunzel randomly like at penn state they have like all the crazy big names you know like ey you know dick sporting goods nike like all these big guys and uh i didn't like i was going for all the big names that i recognized and then i saw these I saw this random crew of guys that were out in the middle of the aisle. And I was like, who are these guys? Uh, just <laughs> talked to them, I guess. And yeah. uh, interviewed with them, got the position, and uh, ended up being the business associate. So That's cool. Yeah. So where's your direction in the company? Like, are you are you going somewhere? Yeah. Um, right now, I'm trying to become a salesperson, I guess. Uh it's a, a weird time because of all the supply chain disruptions, you know, like we mm-hmm. have the big container ships sitting off our beach right now. Yeah. I would definitely like to talk about that. Maybe getting off of China, like as far as supply chain goes, there's a couple of different routes we could go there. Yeah. Um, what were we just saying? The, uh, yeah. Okay. So hold on. So direction question real quick, and then we'll do that. Uh, so yeah, once I figure out how to do like the base uh, duties of the job and then, I get my feet under me a little bit. I, I should go out and sell more, you know, do cold calling, mm-hmm. talk to people on the street, just try to get new business. That's like the name of the game for it. Yeah. So have you done cold calling yet? Yeah. Cold calling. I think cold calling is fun. It's yeah. kind of like a, a systematic process. Like you, uh, you, uh, well, I should, I, I kind of got trained by one of the guys that we surf with Kyle Shackleton. He was really helpful. Oh, uh, cool. he was telling me, uh, He's got like connections with coffee and he wanted me to help him out cold calling, trying to find leads. But my work has kind of like picked up. So it's been tough oh, to is, do that. Is that what you were doing? So that was your cold call? You were doing like a coffee business? Yeah. I was trying to help find leads for Kyle. So cool. he, uh, he helped train me a little bit on it. And it's like, you call up, you try to be super nice. You just, you don't want to be in the way in any way at all. Like you don't want to leave any chance of a bad taste. In so mouth. what's your opener? Yeah, so it's just like you call up and it's like, hey, how's it going? My name's Luke. I represent Bunzel. Like, do you have a second to talk? And oh, that's cool. Is that a line you use? Do you have a second to talk? Yeah, so yeah, that's pretty much all I do. Who are they calling? Who are you calling? Like, do they know who Bunzel is before you say the word? Yeah, so it depends on what, who, like, if you're calling customer service or if you're calling, you know, like the front desk, like someone who's actually taking an order or so it's like hey do you have a second to talk and if they're like no leave me alone you're like okay no problem i'll call back at a different time and they're like okay thank you like i'm busy or if they're receptive it's like yeah i do have a second to talk what's going on and you have like you know 10 seconds like i work for bunzel we do supplies like can you tell me who the decision maker is and it's like you want to get their name because you want to build rapport with that person you want to leave a pleasant experience of the company with them 
and then you want to find out who the decision maker is and when you can get in contact with them. And then you just, you know, you keep on calling and you want to be pleasant so that every time you call, it's like, oh, it's just the Bunzel guy calling again. He's just trying to find my boss or whatever. Yeah. yeah so. And so if you're listening and you don't know what sales is, like that is how you start. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, you just have to rep out cold calls because yeah. <laughs> I got super lucky the other day. I called once. I'm like, hey, we're from Bunzel. And they're like, oh, hold on, let me give you my manager. I'm like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to step on anybody's mm -hmm. toes. And then uh, I got with the manager, and I'm like, yeah, we do Bunzel, just trying to grow our grocery segment. Like, And then he's like, oh, what do you want to – he's like, oh, you want to come down? And then, uh, yeah, so it was like 30 seconds and I already booked a meeting. He just assumed that you – they call that like assuming the sale. I worked at uh, Amazon for a little bit. Okay. But it was like exactly what you're talking about where somebody made the Amazon shit, we sold the Amazon shit, and then, like, uh, Amazon, like, got paid for it all. So none of us actually worked for Amazon. I gotcha. Uh, but I was doing... Uh, I actually wasn't cold calling that much. I was doing door-to-door -door sales. Yeah, that's even tougher. Sometimes, but sort of like what you were saying, how you're like, just, can I get to the decision maker? That's so much easier unless you're when you're not trying to sell to everybody. Like when I was doing cold calls in real estate, like I'm calling you. I'm like, hey, how's it going? My name's Riley. I'm from Keller Williams. But you're like at work or you're trying to like go to bed and you don't work for a real estate company, right? And mm -hmm. then if I call you and I'm like, hey, like I'm looking to um, like find the manager of your supermarket store because I want to do a business meeting. Both of these people are at work. Yeah. So like that makes things so much easier. When yeah. you're trying to break through somebody's like pastime, it's so difficult to get in touch with them pretty well. And that's why like real estate was difficult. Yeah. Cause you're talking with the like the end user who's not at work. They don't really want to be sold to. They don't yeah. they are the decision maker and if they have like their own they don't have like the personality of the company that they work for that they have mm -hmm. to uphold. It's just themselves. Like So when you when you reach the decision maker, what do you do? Uh well so, also too, I, w one thing I forgot is you you want to ask it in a way without asking it, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm, I represent Bunzel. Like, how are you doing today? And you kind of like weave it in there. So you want to say like, oh, who buys your supplies? But you don't want to say that and ruin the experience. But uh, what was the question again? Um, what do you do when you get to this? Okay, meeting? yeah. So you just try to set up the meeting, and then the way that Bunzel is, you go in person with them, and you. Just go and sell. Bunzel is a, a weird sell. The uh, the the grocery industry and the food processor industry they're they're two separate things. But most of the times for food stores or smaller uh, businesses, they just they're just looking for price on supplies. Mm. So it's like you come in and you could say like, oh, Bunzel's great value value added business. Like we we can manage all your items. We can tell you where the best value is. We can show you all your, like, so that's the hand waving that you do in front of their face. Yeah. Yeah. But ultimately a lot of these guys, it's like, what prices do you have? Mm -hmm. Like the, the Northeast, especially for distributors for food packaging supplies, there's a lot of competition for the rest of the country. There's just Bunzel. So, oh, really? Yeah, that's something I learned recently, actually. So there's like a bunch of competitors. There's Bunzel, there's Imperial, there's Jersey Pen Paper, there's all the broadliners, there's a bunch of small guys. So there's some businesses that you'll sell to, and 
they'll literally bid out their supplies every week. So if they have a list oh, wow. of 10 items that they buy, they'll go to all the different uh, distributors that they have. And it's like, what's your price? What's your price? What's your price? All right, you, we get this from you. We get forks. You, we get napkins. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, the once you get to the decision maker, you show them the price. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good that they like, they sort of probably know what they want. You know what they want. Works well. Um, okay. Which was your first foil? <laughs> what made you get started? What has your decision process been like with boards? Okay. Uh, yeah, I saw you when we were surfing the other day. You said you had Tucker on, right? Yeah, here. Let me play a clip for you. All right. Yeah, definitely. Who else should I have on this podcast? Oh, I don't know, man. Uh, start with the Bradley crew. Yeah, I don't know. Approach the guys in the water, the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Find out their stories. You know, everyone's got something interesting, I think, to contribute. So, like, let's talk about, like, the what it feels like you're trying to figure out how to mm. boil. Yeah. And um, then I got to wrap it up. I have, like, some uh, ending questions. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, like, when you're actually flying it, it's like you're flying a plane via a skateboard with your feet. And uh, you just need, like, a little bit of white water to push you. And then from there... I don't even know how to explain it. You have this giant metal thing below you that's getting pushed around with the swell. And uh, you have to like match the contours of the wave really aggressively. And you have to manage your height in the water. Because if you go too high, the, f- the foil will pop out and you'll fall. If you go too low, your board will hit the water and you'll stop. So, but you go, you go probably three times the speed foiling. Like if you're on a little one foot mushy nothing wave on the foil, you're going 20 miles an hour. You're three feet in the air. Yeah. Like I've had so many falls where you skip across the water or like you paddle out on a three foot day and your heart starts pumping because it's huge. Like it's nuts. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then like, what is it like to paddle? It sucks. It's terrible. It's really big. It doesn't have any momentum. Like when you're on a longboard and you take three paddles, you kind of get moving a little bit. But the mm. foil, just like, as soon as you stop paddling, it stops moving. But you're really not supposed to paddle it. You're supposed to pump it. Like Yeah, but, yeah, okay. Just getting out, yeah. And then also, too, if it gets, like, kind of low, you uh, you can't duck dive because the foil gets in the way. So you're just, like, getting smashed by the white water, and you can't even uh, move past it because the foil's in the way. Damn. So there's it's got maybe some hurdles to come over if you're either a foil manufacturer or a foil surfer. Mm, uh, maybe one day... No, I think everybody agrees like there's a learning curve, but it's yeah. an investment that's worth it because you get access to so many more days to three, surf. Three times the surfing, arguably. Three times the speed, three times the surfing. Yeah, I mean, if you get like a crappy wind swell that's just like really mush day that you wouldn't be able to stand up on a surfboard, you can go for a five-mile ride on a foil and just Damn. catch all the little wind swell that's in there. I've had days where you just do laps between 3rd Ave and Brindley. Like I did days where you wow. catch one wave, and you start at third, and you go down to Brindley, you know? And then you just walk back, and you just loop it. Wow. So much That's fun. That's crazy. So, like, I'm super stoked to have it in the spring this year because, you know, that south wind comes up real heavy every mm-hmm. single day, and you can foil that. Like, Sick. So when there's shitty no surf, I'm going to be stoked out of my mind foiling. Wow. <laughs> Good for you, dude. Yeah. All right. Turn in the corner here. Yeah. Where'd it go? But definitely have on the dinghy crew. You have to have that on. You have to have Alex on. <laughs> That's my next question. Yeah. Who else should I have on? Yes. Ed and Cinco. I have to have them on. <laughs> they, uh, 
these guys are they foil they uh they surf they do wind sports uh cinco alex he's a teacher he's a spanish teacher and uh oh, yeah. ed is a cop and uh so they do like kiteboarding and yeah yeah the the guy from uh mike from cbd emporium he's a windsurfer yeah he does he says he does some cool shit yeah windsurfing is nuts uh i kind of like as a, in like the surfer mind you i used to look down at them but now that i foil them like kind of considering the wind sports i'm like oh that looks pretty fun actually but if you go up to sandy hook on a windy day There's the base eyes load it yeah some of those dudes are doing like 50 foot jumps yeah like yeah. i couldn't imagine going 50 feet in the air and it's so perilous like you're out there hundreds of yards from shore yeah like if the wind dies i know ed he always talks about like oh the wind died i had to paddle back in or not oh, he doesn't always talk about that but i guess like in the beginning when he was learning he was like oh i gotta paddle back in because the wind died i got stuck out there dude also ed ed the ferry that goes between sandy hook and the city he wing foiled out to it and then rode the wake <laughs> wow he's nuts <laughs> that's crazy what's a wing foil uh, so it's like a, like a regular foil board. It'll have like, like the foil stay the same and you'll go from a prone board, which is smaller to a stand up board, which is just like stand up paddle board, but you put a foil on the bottom. So you have a regular foil prone, uh, stand up paddle foam, uh, foil board. And then they have like this wing thing. It's, uh, I don't know how they have different sizes. Is it, uh, does it look like a sailboat? Or does it look like a parachute? I don't, there's like the the leading edge it's like a half circle and the leading edge is a tube that gets pumped up and it gets really it gets really hard and it holds these thin plastic wings or like thin plastic webbing between the, mm -hmm. the half circle so you there's like a strut in the middle that you hold on to and you need like i don't know 12 miles an hour with a big wow. wing and a big foil and you can get up and you can go ride around and if there's little lumps in the water like if you can see a swell line in the water you can ride it on the foil oh, so he cool. uses the the wind to get him going and then eventually you'll just catch a a rolling swell and you can ride it sweet yeah they have dudes that do it under the golden gate bridge what is your favorite part about america mm. i think I think it's because everybody's everybody's hopeful here. Like all the everybody that immigrates here, everybody that's working here, like the immigrants are super happy. Like I went up to the Bronx today and uh you see all these guys that are like hustling. They don't need, they don't speak English. They're working really hard. Like we were unloading film out of the back of my truck and we're like doing it a million miles an hour cuz these guys like they just work so hard. They have hope that they'll make it. That they they have hope that their kids will have a better lives. Like, I know that all my friends like. Everybody's working towards something. Everybody has hope for something that it like hope for a better life. Hope for you know. Hopefully, I get this. Hopefully, I can get that. So that's nice. It's not like you're in a pit of despair. Just kind of like. You know, doing, doing whatever just to waste time. You know. And the government allows us to do that to the extent that we wish to yeah there's 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 supposedly there's freedom to do whatever you want and if you choose to that's the next episode <laughs> luke where do you think we go when we die mm. i don't know are the the 
Where do you hope you go then? The 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 are the atoms that we're borrowing go to somebody else and and then our our consciousness just goes back to wherever it came from and you're just a super consciousness chilling, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> atoms, consciousness and life. Boom. What is the meaning of life? There's there's gotta be something. Uh, it's gotta be. <laughs> it's gotta be. It's nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, you could do better than that. Yeah. No. Definitely. Let's see. Uh, probably. Probably just to try to figure out how to en enjoy the good and the bad. You know, just see. Just try to get through it and not be miserable. <laughs> right on. Thanks for the uh, motivation, Luke. Yeah, sure. No problem. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. <laughs>